Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to be taking a look at the status of nuclear weapons and what threats they are still to all 8.2 billion people around the world. My guest today is an expert on this topic. My guest today is Dr. Ivana Nikolic-Hughes, who is the president of the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation. She's a senior lecturer in chemistry at Columbia University and a member of the scientific advisor group to the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Dr. Hughes, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. I appreciate you being with me today. Let's jump right into it. What is the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation? When was it formed? What does it do? Absolutely. The Nuclear Age Peace Foundation was founded in 1982 uh, by David Krieger, Frank K. Kelly, and a couple of other people who sought to address what they saw as an existential threat to humanity. And uh, the foundation over a period, we it was just 41 full years last month. Uh, for the duration of our existence, our mission has truly been to educate and advocate for a just and peaceful world and one that is free of nuclear weapons. So nuclear abolition has been at the forefront of our work. And it's the work that, you know, sadly continues. Uh, 41 years in, uh, we are in many ways in a worse place than we had been uh, in this century so, so far. Uh, and and the, work, the work continues. It certainly does. And it's such an important topic because if we have some type of nuclear incident, it could annihilate all living entity on the planet. It's that serious. But we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, I wanted to remind our viewers or mention that uh, they can go to your website at www.wagingpeace.org to get more information about what we're talking about. But let's uh, let's bring us up to date. Uh, as I recall, there were nine nuclear weapon states years ago. Are there still nine? And which which ones are they? Yes, there are still nine. Uh, we, the, the United States became the first nuclear uh, armed state in 1945. Uh, and soon uh, the Soviet Union, now Russia has inherited those weapons, joined the club, the United Kingdom, France and China. Those five countries all had nuclear weapons by 1968 and are actually recognized in something called the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. This is a, one of the largest international agreements of, of states on any topic. Um, and those five states are recognized as nuclear weapon states. But there are four others who are outside of this international agreement. Uh, and that's Israel, India, Pakistan, and North Korea, 
who all acquired nuclear weapons in, in the meantime. And so there are nine nuclear weapon possessors um, and there are nearly uh, 13,000 nuclear warheads uh, in the world. And this is, you know, the success of organizations like the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation is the fact that we are, um, uh, the numbers are down compared to where they were in 1986. We actually had nearly 70,000 nuclear warheads. So 13,000 is certainly better than 70, but it's not good enough. And as you said, it, it literally threatens all of humanity. A nuclear war could destroy human civilization as we know it and essentially wipe out all of life um, on the planet. That's very true. And we need to do everything we can do to reduce or hopefully eliminate those 13,000 nuclear weapons. And it's very disconcerting to hear some countries now because of the economic, well, not economic, political instability going on in many areas of the world, and especially in the United States and the United States Congress. You hear our allies like South Korea saying, maybe we should have nuclear weapons. Japan saying it. No, that's the last thing they need. They do not need nuclear weapons to throw billions of dollars in a rat hole to make the world more unsafe. Or am I wrong on that? No, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that the what, what happens is if countries that have nuclear weapons claim that they have to keep them to keep themselves safe, then it is only natural for other countries to say, wait a second, if nuclear weapons are keeping you safe, why can't I get them? Uh, why can't we get them ourselves? And that, of course, is absurd, because if all countries in the world had nuclear weapons, that clearly would not be good for humanity. The problem is, Ultimately, that logic, it's called nuclear deterrence. The logic of nuclear deterrence is a problem. And it's a problem for a number of reasons. One of the main reasons why it's a problem is that there is absolutely no plan B for if nuclear deterrence doesn't work. And in fact, states do not trust that nuclear deterrence uh, will will always work, which is precisely why they have missile defense systems, for example. Um, the other problem is that nuclear deterrence does not prevent us from uh, having uh, a nuclear, uh, you, you refer to it as incident, but a single use of a nuclear weapon could lead to nuclear war. And that single initial use does not have to be deliberate. It could be from an accident. It could be from a miscalculation. So there are many pathways by which these weapons could lead to these horrifying nuclear Armageddon scenarios. And it just simply, it is um, simply unacceptable to put all of humanity at risk because some nation state believes that they're keeping keeping it safer. And I would just claim they're not keeping us safer. They're actually putting us at risk. Um, I think you're absolutely right. You're right on target. And it's, uh, I mentioned, disconcerting to hear South Koreans and Japanese talking about getting them. But you also have people like Putin, who's threatened to use limited nuclear force in Ukraine. We've got members of the U.S. Congress who actually believe erroneously 
that you could have a limited nuclear exchange. They are dead wrong, in my opinion, and they really need to learn much more about this very dangerous issue. There is no way anyone could set off a nuclear weapon that wouldn't run the possibility of creating global winter or wiping out the entire planet. Is there? Yeah, you're absolutely right. When people study what would happen with a single use of a nuclear weapon, um, it's called war games and people run these simulations. And in under no scenario do we end up in something other than total and complete nuclear war. And as you said, that nuclear war doesn't just lead to millions of people dying. Um, just to give some numbers to this, in a scenario where the US and Russia use one third of their current arsenals, 360 million people die from the direct attacks, just from, from the, the, the death and destruction and fireballs and so on that happen with the attacks themselves. But what uh, happens after the attacks are complete is that so much soot, the fires from burning cities, forests, everything, uh, so much soot goes into the atmosphere. It blocks incoming sunlight. It leads to a, a huge reduction in the amount of energy we receive from the sun. It leads to a huge reduction in, of temperatures. And then agriculture begins to fail all around the planet. And in the scenario of the US and Russia using one third of their arsenals, what we're looking at is over five and a half billion people dying from starvation within two years. That's why we talk about this being nuclear Armageddon, being the end of the world. Civilization cannot get, get cannot survive. Uh, 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 something like this, which is precisely why we have to get rid of nuclear weapons. That's exactly right. And we, the sooner, the better we have to do it. Absolutely. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps a university that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you have a podcast or just a computer and you like our shows, please feel free to show them. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues. Today, we're taking a look at the very precarious state or the status of the nuclear weapon stockpile in the world today. I guess they is an expert on this topic. Dr. Ivana Nikolic Hughes is president of Nuclear Age Peace Foundation, a senior lecturer in chemistry at Columbia University and a member of the scientific advisory group to the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. And Dr. Hughes, before we get into these nuclear the arrangements or, or treaties, I should say, uh, should uh, some countries have taken a no first use of using nuclear weapons. The United States has not done that. I don't think Russia has. But should all countries sign on, say we will not use nuclear weapons first, we will be we will not do it. It's a it's a great question, Bill. Um... Uh, currently, China and India have such policies. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I do think that that would be a step in the right direction, but I don't believe that it's enough. For one, you can always revoke your policy, right? You can always say, oh, I changed my mind. I'm going to actually, you know, remove this policy and still use nuclear weapons first. Um, for two, this kind of a policy would not prevent us from nuclear weapons used due to an accident, for example, or miscalculation where you actually think you're being attacked, but you're not really being attacked. Um, so it would be a step in the right direction. But for me, the goal is total elimination of nuclear weapons. And the good news there is that we now do have an international treaty called the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons that can actually get us there. Very good. Why don't we talk briefly about some of these treaties before we run out of time? We can't do justice to all of them. What is the basic? This was a UN treaty, as I recall, of seven, eight, nine years ago, something like that. What exactly is that? Yes. So the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons was negotiated in 2017, and it came into force. It's one of the, the newest international treaties, certainly on this topic. It came into force in 2021. Um, and currently has 97 countries that have either signed or ratified it. Uh, so that's almost half of the world's uh, states. So we're getting we're we're getting there. Uh, and uh, it's a treaty that essentially uh, uh, bans, um, prohibits any and all nuclear weapons activities. Uh, possessing them, transferring them, developing them, using them, threatening them. It even bans threatening uh, nuclear weapons. But it also very importantly um, has what are referred to as humanitarian provisions, which are meant to address the legacy of nuclear weapons use and testing around the world um, and to help victims and remediate impacted environments. So it's just a really wonderful achievement. Um, it has been primarily led by the countries of the global south, uh, but there are um, leaders um, uh, like Austria and Ireland, um, Mexico is a big leader, Kazakhstan, um, there are really countries coming together from around the world and saying to the countries that possess nuclear weapons, enough is enough. You're not just putting yourself at risk. That would be one thing if you were just putting yourself at risk. You're putting all of us at risk. You're putting all of humanity at risk. And I'll just note, Bill, that other weapons of mass destruction are banned, are prohibited. That includes chemical weapons, which the United States used in Vietnam and um, and and it includes uh, biological weapons. These are all banned and nuclear weapons are the last thing. And we've got to not just ban them and prohibit them, but also eliminate them. Exactly. Did, as I think back over this, over the years, it, years ago, I saw a figure and I don't know if it's right or wrong today, but something like it cost a hundred, cost the United States, $150 million a day to maintain the nuclear weapons, to try to keep, they're not up to date to start off with. And that, that's going to lead into my next question in a minute. But is it still that expensive? Or I imagine it's even more expensive. 
it's enormously expensive. And not only are they enormously expensive to maintain, but because so many of them are getting old, uh, all of the countries, including, you know, uh, the United States are planning to modernize their weapons. They're planning to spend, in the case of the United States, up to some estimates are up to $2 trillion. And this is, of course, the absurdity of this is we're going to spend up to $2 trillion when we don't have money for so many things that, that we need, right? On weapons that we're meant to never use. Right. So it's exactly. all just utterly absurd. And um, and and just to go back to the idea that, you know, we're never going to use them. But when we do have plans and policies to use them, uh, those plans and policies truly are. There is no such thing as limited use. Those plans and policies, in the words of actually Daniel Ellsberg, who passed away earlier this year, are insane and dizzyingly immoral. They're just the the you know the the idea that you can destroy all of humanity should not be something that we accept uh, as 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 something that could be done in our name. That's exactly right, and we. Maybe we need new leadership. That's a, I think we really do. And we also need less influence for the military industrial complex. We need companies like Boeing and Raytheon and these folks who have come up with wonderful ideas for all these high-priced weapons that we don't need in most cases to sell to the Pentagon. And, and it, well, that whole Pentagon budget, I, we won't get into that. That could tie us yeah, up forever. Yeah, You're absolutely but, right. And I mean, President Eisenhower warned about the military industrial complex. And here we are in 2023, uh, where so much of our, you know, people think, okay, well, the, the, the military needs the money, but it's not, it's not your veterans that are getting, it's not even people serving right now. It's the majority of that money is going to the to the to the companies, and it's just a few companies. Also, it's not a exactly. lot. Exactly, it's not. Just a think, if they took that two trillion dollars and invested it in highways, infrastructure development, education, nutritional programs, things like that, instead of throwing it into a rat hole that we do not need these and they're very dangerous. Well, we're we're going to run out of time. We've gotten. I have gotten sidetracked. I apologize for that. Not let's at talk, all. Thank you. Let's talk very briefly for about a minute each. The the uh, foundation of so many of these nuclear treaties, as as I understand, has been the uh, Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty, the NPT. What is what does that do basically, and when did it come online? Yeah. So the NPT was negotiated in 1968. It was. Um, actually, this was sort of the, the dream in 1963, President Kennedy and Chairman Khrushchev negotiated the partial test ban treaty, and it was sort of their hope, uh, uh, and it did happen that there would be an international treaty bringing everybody to address the issue of, of nuclear um, technologies more broadly. And so that treaty has sort of three elements to it. One is um, non-proliferation, meaning that the five countries that had nuclear weapons up until that point, and those were US, Soviet Union, China, the UK, and Russia, would get to keep them uh, and no one else would acquire them. 
Uh, and then there was the element where the, the second one, where the countries that got to keep them at that point had to negotiate in good faith towards total and complete disarmament. And here we are, you know, decades later, and we are not at the point where they have committed to nuclear disarmament in a in a in a in a verifiable, in a time-bound manner. Um, and the last element of the treaty was um, what's referred to as the peaceful use of nuclear energy. And I don't want to get into it because that's a whole that's a whole program in and of itself. Um, and it's a complicated issue, but it is protected by that treaty. And the signatories of the treaty are, um, again, allow not allowed to make nuclear weapons, but they are allowed to pursue technologies for peaceful uses. And so that was that came into force in 1970. Um, initially, not everybody had signed it. France and China, for example, took a long time before they joined the treaty. But as I said um, earlier, it is today one of the largest international agreements uh, with 193 signatories. Um, and, and, and the treaty is in force. Um, after that came um, another treaty that's been important, but it's actually not currently in force. It's called the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty. And that treaty, the United States never ratified. And, and part of the reason it's not in force is because we never ratified it. And so partly because um, some of the countries had recognized that things weren't happening in the context of the NPT and the CTBT that should have been happening. Um, countries came together, as I said, in 2017 to negotiate a prohibition treaty. And that's what we have today um, on the treaty with the treaty on the prohibition of nuclear weapons. And that's what the Nuclear Age Peace Foundation is very much focused on. It's We're focused on uh, promoting this treaty and we're focused on its implementation and helping helping states, helping the United Nations get to a point where we can truly eliminate all of these horrendous weapons. We certainly did, should and could if we wanted to. It just takes will willpower to do it. And we save trillions of dollars in doing it. Before we run out of time, we're just about there. I understand that your organization has consultative status at the United Nations, that's quite an honor. Uh, how does, uh, in 30 seconds, how does that work? Yeah, I mean, it, it means that we get to participate in meetings. It means that we get to make statements. We're also considered by the United Nations a peace messenger organization. So it just gives us a lot of room to um, try and influence uh, things at the highest levels. And I think this kind of influence is important. You know, sometimes people criticize the UN, the UN and it hasn't done enough. And um, I, I, I think I can safely say that the world is in a much better place. Perhaps we're not in where we want to be, but in a much better place because of the UN. It, there have been many good things in the um, you know, when it comes to these nuclear technologies, I, I, I just shudder to even think where we, where we would be without people working on these issues uh, as, as they do now. You're absolutely right. 
And so often the UN gets blamed for any time a discussion falls apart or a treaty or whatever. It's the individual states that have to make it successful. It's the US, Russia, China, on across the board. They're the ones who make it or break it. It's not the institution of the United Nations. They're doing their job. They're providing the resources, the materials, the background information, staff, that type of thing. It's the member states who fail so often. And we really need to start monitoring this. And people can do that. They can go to your website at wagingpeace.org, or they can go to the United Nations website and pick up on all these treaties we talked about at www.un.org. But Dr. Ivana Nikolic Hughes, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting and a very informative program. Thank you so much. Thank you again for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure. I'm Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television.